Hey, it's Pete. A familiar voice, hopefully. Uh, anyway, I want to take a quick moment to highlight the amazing work of the team here at Your Money Line. A few years ago, we noticed this weird, nasty trend that people had financial questions, they had challenges, they had this missing piece to their financial puzzle, and they weren't getting the answers. So then they get stuck, they get paralyzed, and they wouldn't take action, and their financial life would meander and loiter in a bad place. So that's why we created this place. Uh, we have an employee benefit company, and it's called Your Money Line, and that's what it does. We help companies succeed by improving the financial lives of their most valuable asset. Not their break room, their employees. Everything we talk about is confidential. And you get access to a certified financial expert to get all your money questions answered, big or small. That's your money line. So bring your money line to your company. Check us out at yourmoneyline.com or any of the social networks you happened to deal with on a regular basis. Good day to you. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Joining me, as always, is Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Hello, Damian. Hello, Peter. Lots to do this week. Some uh, email from people. Here's how the show works. People email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. Ask Pete at petetheplanner.com. We answer the questions and we send you nothing. Dame, the first uh, question this week is from a lady, I believe, Rachel. Hi, Pete. This is a long shot that you'd be able to help me since I'm sure you get thousands of emails. I have a question about job offer, relocation, and my husband's educational plans. Ooh, I like these, Dame. Mm. I've got a current job that pays me $37 an hour. Do you have an abacus out or anything, Damien? Um, We've got my fingers. Okay. They offer retirement at 4% matching. I do 4%, they'll do 4%, okay? I have medical benefits, although they are $310 a pay period, per pay, per period, for 24 of the 26 pay periods. Dame, do you have your abacus out? I still got my fingers. Do you want me to start doing some math here? Well, no, I just make sure you're, you're following along. It's a contract job up for renewal in June. Odds are good, even if my company doesn't win, I'll still have a job. However, there is no guarantee that I'll get the same salary or benefits. I have another job offer, but the salary range is $58,000 to $60,000. So on the low end, it's $18,960 less money. The job offer comes with an automatic 10% of my salary into retirement account, regardless of what I invest. There's also a 403B I can invest my own money into if I so choose. The medical benefits total $124.08 on the same pay periods, 24 of the 26. The job also offers 52 extra vacation hours, 126 hours, plus 32 hours towards doctors, dentists, and appointments. It seems like the job offer makes more sense, right? Now, the problem is, you were waiting for the problem, weren't you, Dame? I was. The problem felt like it was the $18,000 less, but you could tell something else was about to happen. The problem is, is the job is in Charlottesville, Virginia. And we... Charlottesville's a nice place. Why is that a problem? Well, because they live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh. That means relocation. The job offer contains the potential to negotiate $5,000 towards relocation, except I own a home through an FHA loan, year three of the FHA commitment to use as a main home is August of 2020. We have a small farm, chickens, dogs, and cats. 
are dogs and cats considered farm animals? I was just about to ask if you can farm cats and dogs. What if if it's like a sheepdog? Is that considered a farm animal? Well, yes, but probably not in how we're wishing it was. Uh, that have to go with us. Rental properties are anywhere from three to six hundred dollars a month more expensive before pet rent and utilities in Charlottesville. I've always viewed it as a pet fee and not pet rent. How have you viewed it? That's an interesting interesting way to phrase that pet rent. I just like I, to think there's some I, angry cat going, I owe three hundred dollars in rent. Yeah. <clears throat> I like it. I should get a cough button. You should. And the real kicker here, uh, we we are stuck on the decision, is my husband is going to school to finish his bachelor's degree, two and a half years to go, and then apply to vet school. Oh, okay. So they want to ruin their financial life. Uh, The tuition in New Mexico is nearly $8,000 less per year as a resident, which would take a year for him to uh, acquire in Virginia. New Mexico is a Oh boy, W I C H E state giving him residency tuition at a lot of schools nearby for vet school. We don't have one in New Mexico. I'm 33 years old. My husband is 30. We got married in September and I just started working on developing our financial goals. I have about $140,000 in student loan debt. My credit is not so great and I have maybe $5,000 in retirement. He just started getting credit this year. He never had any before. We've had about $3,000 saved because uh, we were going to do some house remodels. He has no retirement, works part-time, so he can attend classes. What's the smarter choice? If we stay and I get the same salary, we can afford to pay his entire tuition for his bachelor degree. If we go, everything is more expensive, and he has to get admitted to a new school. But I develop a good retirement plan. What do you recommend? Rachel. Rachel. That was Rachel. Ah. Man. Damn, I, can I have a really uncomfortable conversation? Yeah. I, I, had a, un, yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of our thing. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with my daughter the other day because she really is into animals. Mm. She's like, I don't know. Maybe I want to be a vet. And I said, honey, I think it's great. You're willing to help animals. I said, but, you know, I don't want to shoot down your dreams. <laughs> but I'm going to. That is a, but I'm going to. <laughs> that is an unbelievable difficult financial path so much so i can't think of another profession that provides a more difficult financial path than vet medicine you know i had no idea how difficult that that career path was i I mean it's it's tough it is the toughest in my estimation. I can't honestly, I'm not being uh, hyperbolic and at this moment. There's there's no profession that I find more difficult financially, the, the ramifications of uh, getting the, the education and paying for it with the wages that you're able to earn than veterinary medicine. Yeah, it's um, it's a struggle. And that uh, they are signing up for, uh, or what they intend on signing up for, what Rachel and her spouse i don't think she ever gave his name we'll just call mr rachel maybe sure uh mr rachel has a ross. Uh, we'll call him ross, ross. Uh, that's perfect ross has a very tough road in front of him so they stay right i think that's the clear answer in this case i mean i'm, I'm i did I, I broke out the abacus as you suggested uh she's getting right now almost seventy five hundred dollars worth of medical in, in her pay per year She's making, she's getting an extra three grand in 401k contribution. I mean, it's not 10% automatically. However, if you 
I mean, she said the the job offer was going to be what fifty eight to sixty. Yeah, um, that's only two grand more for a, a employer contribution on the four hundred one k side. And by the way, that's if she, you know, that starts to matter a lot if she stays there forever, right? But this doesn't sound like a stay there forever sort of situation. No, I didn't get that feel either. I would stay in New Mexico. I, I mean, think, yeah, I, I think that's the choice. Yeah, I would st- stick with the job, uh, shop for a, a, a good uh, veterinarian school if, if that's where you go. Uh, that's going to give you in-state uh, tuition. Um, develop an emergency fund. I think they said they've only got three grand saved because uh, they wanted to do some house remodels. I got bad news. I, I think you're probably going to put those house remodels on hold for a little while, Rachel and Ross. Uh, got to get that, that emergency fund built up a little bit because you've got already 140 G's in student loan debt and you're about to take on a whole bunch more. Did I ever tell you the story when I shared a pizza with a man in a hotel room in Albuquerque? No, but go on. I was in Albuquerque and I was in a hotel room and I shared a pizza with a man. I am so angry at you right now. Uh, Damien, we received uh, listener feedback on Facebook this week. It's always good. From a lady named Patty. It says, while I enjoy your articles, your podcasts leave so much to be desired. Namely, less joking around, less non-relevant chatter. I don't have time to waste and would appreciate being able to hear your wisdom without the extraneous yammering nonsense. Patty. So, Dame, in the spirit and out of respect to Patty, the next segment will be absent yammering and non-relevant chatter and joking. Are you ready for that? It's going to be the shortest segment ever. The idea that she thinks I have wisdom that can stand on its own is cute because I don't. That's the point. This is is not going to go as well as I think she thinks it's going to. Yeah. So anyway, uh, there's a lot of details in the email from Rachel, but the bottom line is this. Stay. Don't go. It's a sexier decision to go because you're, oh, we got to move across the country. It's a better story to tell. But stay with your chickens and your other farm animals, such as cats and dogs. Dave, coming up after the break, a very serious segment about a very topic that may be interesting. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. Back on the Pete the Planner show, we're answering your financial questions. If you have questions, you email them to us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. If you're just joining us for the first time, you're thinking, huh, pretty straightforward show. Like if this is the first segment you've ever listened to, this segment is something special for us this week. We're going to do a very serious segment with no jokes, no frivolity, yammering, or non-relevant chatter and this is that segment and all of the non-relevant chatter ends now damien dunn is my co-host hello damien good morning peter the next question hi pete love listening to your show damien is very funny Uh, it's not me at all my question has to do with mutual fund returns versus fees i've been contemplating dropping my one actively managed fund fidelity contra fund in favor of an index fund I found Fidelity has this fund compare tool. And then Damien, he lists a link. H-T-T-P-S colon backslash backslash. In the respective time, I will continue. Uh, 
At the bottom of the tool, it mentions several disclaimers, including the product's returns may not reflect all its expenses. Any fees not reflected would lower the returns. Benchmark returns include reinvestment of capital gains and dividends, if any, but do not reflect any fees or expenses. While this, uh, with this, I'm assuming they don't deduct fees, but maybe I'm misunderstanding. I ran the tool comparing ContraFund to the FSKAX total index fund, and the tool shows the higher fee fund outperforming the index fund with lower fees. However, if the fees are deducted, just looking at year one, I come up with uh, the contra fund being uh, outperforming the other one. It's, he does a bunch of math here, Damien, so it's sort of hard to read on the email. I love my math. Question, yeah, my question is, am I doing this right? It looks like at least with year one, the contra fund just barely squeaks by the performance of the index fund, a whole $16 after fees, which I suppose with compounding, and higher amounts is still something meaningful and may mean it's worth holding on to. This is from, oddly enough, a gentleman by the name of Pete. Hmm. Damien, I don't believe this is a question about fees, despite the fact that this is a question about fees. I'm curious as to what you believe the question is about. If you take a actively managed fund, like the Fidelity Contra Fund, and you try to compare it just based on fees and performance to an index fund, which is a passive strategy, then I think you're missing the boat because this has to do with investment philosophy and investment theory and strategy and not fees. I believe if you try to compare apples to oranges, you're going to find some weird comparison. And I think that's where we're at right now. Contra fund is traditionally one of Fidelity's more uh, popular funds. And it has a decent track record. However, I agree with you that comparing active to passive can create some sticky situations. Damien, we're three minutes and 29 seconds into the no fun segment. I can't do it anymore. Oh my gosh. Thank See, goodness. that's why we don't do that. It's no good. No. It's no good. I'm just hoping we haven't killed our audience through a series of car accidents as they listen. Here's the thing. No one can do a show like this because the topic is so horrendously boring without having some fun. And after doing this for 10 years, a decade in radio, I'm comfortable, but I appreciate the feedback. Dame Fidelity Contra Fund is a classic. It has been around for evs, as the kids say. Great returns, but I mean, everything's getting great returns right now. It's 10-year average annual returns <laughs> are, are, are probably ridiculous. 14.73%. It's one year was 21%, which, oh, it lagged the market. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a killer. It always has been. I'm trying to find out how long it's been around. It Ever since I was in the investment business, which was two, the year 2000, 1998, 99, 2000, it's been around. Uh its current manager has been there since 1990, which, by the way, if you're paying attention and you are going to chase an actively managed fund, check out how long the manager's been there. Yeah. No, he's a classic. Uh, what is his name? Bill uh, Danoff. Danoff. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this guy researches investments, makes decisions based on you know, how the market impacts those things, how the companies are doing at large. It is an actively managed fund. An index fund is just a group of uh, companies, and it just sits there 
There's no exchange on a regular basis. So there, it's always going to have lower expenses unless you've got a really crappy index fund mm-hmm. uh, than an uh, uh, actively managed fund. So again, it's like we're comparing apples to oranges and then you're saying, well, the apple's lighter, so it must be better. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think fees are the issue. I think the fees are close enough here that they're not the issue. What do you think, Damien? Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I'm I, a bulk of my, my investments are in index funds. I, I just, I believe in that philosophy. However, however, I'll do the jokes, Damien. Sorry. See, hey, this I, is where maybe she should have written that about you. No, if you notice, uh, Pete, not you, but our writer, if you go back to his very first sentence, I think he will disagree. Well, he put a smiley face, which means sarcasm. Oh, thanks, Pete. Uh, most of my stuff's in index funds. However, I do have a couple actively managed things because I love the managers. And if the day comes that they leave that fund or they 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 no longer manage that fund, I'll probably move it out. But I, you know, it's not a it's not the majority of my my investments. So uh, I'm willing to hedge on my my normal strategy just because i think there's uh something that's done very well by somebody so yeah don't always expenses are a great way to compare things uh whether that's through the the fund compare tool which i think are really interesting Uh, if if you are someone who wants to research their stuff uh check it out especially if you can get one that compares holdings there was a huge mutual fund company that did really really well in uh the the early 2000s of course lots of mutual funds did really really well in the early 2000s but if you were to go through and do a screening tool on most of their different mutual funds they all held the same stuff it, it wasn't really diversification it was just they were labeling stuff differently um so fund screening tools amazing if you are so inclined use one check them out and you may be surprised at what you find but in this in this pete's case yeah, I you know don't don't get too hung up on it. I, I, I agree like, with you. I feel like some of the jargon, the small print, may have confused him. All right, so I'm going to read it slow because I don't think it means what he thinks it means. The products returns. This is a quote from the website. The products returns may not reflect all its expenses. Okay, I think he's got that part right. Any fees not reflected would lower the returns. Benchmark returns include reinvestment of capital gains and dividends, if any, but do not reflect any fees or expenses. So the fees aren't the issue on the contra fund he's looking at. I, what this is saying, and what may be confusing, maybe not, is that they always put a benchmark, like how do you compare the contra fund to the market at large? And then they say, which one is doing better? But what they're saying was that benchmark number, probably the S&P 500, isn't the fees aren't reflected in its return. So that is more indicative of it's not representative of how good or bad it's doing versus the market, not at large. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a a good observation there. You've got to pay attention and benchmarking. uh, We could probably do an entire segment on how to accurately benchmark or or reasonably benchmark your, your returns. Um, Because I think some people don't always do that correctly. The Contra fund is at 82 basis points. And uh, the so that is uh, 0.82%. And the other fund, this broad total, index, total index yeah. is at 15 basis points. Yeah, that'll add up. Coming up after the break, more of the Pete the Planner show right here 
on the Pete the Planner Radio Network. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. If you have questions, email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. Askpete at petetheplanner.com. Sorry about the last segment, but we're just trying to please everybody. Dame Pete, I would love to get your thoughts on our financial challenges. I hope that I don't bog you down with useless data. Well, some listeners would enjoy that. My wife is a 57-year-old homemaker who has not worked outside the house during our 18-year marriage. I'm a 63-year-old male model. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, professional, is said. Making 100... See, tell me how you don't enjoy this. I don't know. How can someone objectively look at what just happened and go, I'd prefer he just said professional? <laughs> right? I don't know. Due to financial challenges in the past, we are behind on retirement savings. We have approximately $300,000. You know what, Dame? There's two ways you can read this. I'm going to read this uh, and then give you the grammar or the punctuation because I think it matters. Due to financial challenges in the past, comma, we are behind on retirement savings. Parentheses, approximately $300,000. Ooh, interesting. So are they behind $300,000 or they have $300,000? Let's keep reading. Maybe we'll learn more. The likelihood is my wife will outlive me. I would love to retire at 70, but ensuring that she is taken care of is a priority for me. We would like to use Social Security and 401k to live off of. My estimate is we will receive $4,000, that's a household total per month from my earnings, from Social Security, as well as $200 per month for my pension and draw 401k as needed. I also have $750,000 term policy on me and our home is paid for. Now the question. My wife has about $1,200 of Social Security per month eligibility at retirement. We don't want to leave it on the table, but don't want to impact her ability to receive spousal benefits if something should happen to me. When should she apply for her Social Security benefits? Russ, you know, I want to start by saying I I answered a question in my column a couple weeks ago or last week that was sort of an opposite situation. Dave, do you remember that one? Did we talk about that one on the air? It was the woman that her husband was like 10 years 10 older years, yeah. and did no planning, didn't care. This hus- I mean, we're, we're, uh, this is Valentine's day weekend. Happy Valentine's day, by the way, buddy. Yeah. This is a loving email from a guy who's trying to say, how can I best take care of my wife? Yeah. So it's a sweet sentiment. Happy Valentine's day. It really is. Oddly enough, uh, this is very selfless email because he's like, okay, I want to know the best thing to do. I want her to be okay when I'm here and I want her to be okay when I'm gone. And some people may feel that, but very few people express that either in the, their actions and or the questions they ask. So Russ, you're quite the lover. Did Russ give us his age? I can't remember. Yes, he did. He is 63. He is okay. six years older. She's 57. He is 63. And that's an impact. I mean, there's an impact to that. Yeah. I'll just say this, you know, for her to take social security at age 62 to take 1200. I don't know if I would do that. Mm -mm. So he would be 69 when she, no, he would be 68 when she's 62, but he's talking about retiring at 70. Yeah. I I wouldn't, I would not take her social security at 62 slash 63, but she'll be 64 when he retired. I wouldn't take it. No, I, I like, um, Russ's, um, 
plan on on working until 70 uh, it's going to benefit everybody fantastically in the long run here uh especially after he he passes if if that works out to where he passes before she does um plus it'll give them a chance to uh save a little bit more and maybe get uh, get a budget under control if they aren't living on a budget currently maybe start to uh, start to live off of the income that they think they're going to have available ahead of time. And as you and I have talked about, that's a really, really important thing to try and do. Yeah, I feel like they've got enough time, you're right, to sort of meet themselves in the middle of how much that they're going to have available, start living on that amount, and then build in the meantime. You know, the good part about this guy, 63, seven years out is a good amount of time to execute a plan no matter how close you are to being able to pull it off. I, I think enough changes can be made and decisions can be made, which is why he's emailing right now that something positive can come from this. Yeah. I, I was curious about the, um, the mention of term life insurance. I mean, that's, I'm assuming that's workplace term life, but that's, a, it was a large amount, wasn't it? It was three quarters of a million. Y- you know what? That's funny. That struck me too, because, well, uh, let's say a couple things. I don't think that's a lot, but I think it's a lot for the person that just described their life to us. Mm-hmm. A 63-year-old that has 750000 yet only has $300,000 maybe in the bank, that's a lot of life insurance. Again, that's why that's one of the reasons I felt this is like an email of love, honestly. Yeah, I, you know, I'd love to know more about that insurance. How long, um, you know, what's the term going to run out on? Is a majority of that employer uh, provided? I mean, yeah, insurance can help set someone up for uh, their retirement, but it's you know, you know, you know, maximizing Social Security. Sometimes people look at uh, that option as well. But um, goodness, that's that's um, that's an interesting little wrinkle to to their situation is the the term life insurance. I think a good takeaway for anyone listening is when there is an age gap. <laughs> Six years might be the the, sort of the the beginning of the problems with an age gap. If there is a six-year or more age gap between you and your spouse and you get into retirement planning, it's more difficult than you think. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're asking a lot of the assets that you're able to accumulate uh, during your working years. And then even the question of when do you retire? I mean, that, that becomes a huge, huge topic of conversation. Because uh, you know the older one's going to get out to normal-ish retirement age and start thinking, I want to retire, but I'm not really sure I want to do it alone. And that has some serious consequences, both on the income and expense side of the ledger. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and it puts people in really awkward situations, right? Because you know the, the sentiment that always comes out is, well, you know what? We want to spend this time together. It's important to us. And, and I get it. I, I would feel the same way. But then the economic realities, people tend to ignore them. And then the problem gets worse. And that was my column a couple of weeks ago is if you barely retire or you make a decision around having someone retire too early, that problem doesn't stay the same as time passes. That problem gets worse and worse and worse and, and scarier. And the ability to fix it becomes nearly impossible. Yeah, I, retirement is uh, hopefully a period of your life that you can enjoy. And if you've got somebody else in your life, if you're married, then um, you know, fantastic. I, I hope that it, it works out for for both of you. But um, 
there are planning issues that need to be confronted and, and nice job Russ for for starting to think about them now while there is time to make a, quite a few adjustments if we're, if we're being honest if they were needed um but I don't think there may be as many as he thinks there may be I mean he's going to have a really nice social security benefit uh, available to both he and his wife in in the future yeah so don't take her social security early try to make your retirement work without her social security um until it's absolutely necessary. But Dame, I think this goes to a further point. Anytime I hear, and Russ did not say this, but we get emails like this all the time. Anyone that says to us, I can barely retire. I think we can make, I get so nervous. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I think we'll barely have enough oxygen to get to the top of Mount Everest. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to get back down, man. You can't barely retire. You have to retire. Like you, it is, it is the biggest financial commitment of your life. And it can't, it's not just a, I think we can afford this car payment for four years. No, <laughs> but you know, we see people do that too. Yeah. No, you're exactly and, right. Dame, you know, we talk about a lot on here that retirement is the only problem you can't solve by borrowing. But when you take every financial challenge you have with a borrower's mindset, you think, oh, we can handle the payment. Oh, we can get through it for a few years. That's a borrower's mindset. You can't do that in retirement. It is a permanent challenge. And that's what scares me a lot of times that people don't realize. Yeah. Right, I, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I that's stepped right. on you. I, Go I'm, ahead. So, I'm really good at this. We're going to take a break, Dan. We're going to come back with biggest waste of money of the week, still the Iowa caucus and the news. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is, Dame, before we get there, had some uh, podcast listener love this week in person. I went to historic Hinkle Fieldhouse to enjoy the Butler Bulldogs basketball game on Wednesday night. They battled the Xavier X-Men. I don't know what they're <laughs> the mus- Musketeers? Xavier, what are they? Musketeers, right? I said musketeers, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I'm in there and I see some people and the people are Pete. I was like, hello. I was like, uh, hey, we're podcast listeners. I was like, oh my gosh. And they said they enjoyed the show. So hello to you people. Thanks for listening. It's weird to meet people with poor tastes, you know? <laughs> Damn, this is the biggest waste of money of the week is the herbal goods. You know, before I get there, you know, we got that feedback from Patty saying that there's a lot of frivolity. The entire last segment is nothing. She's a three segment person. She has to shut it down after the third segment because there's nothing of value in this fourth segment other than fun. Not for her. The Herbal Goods pre-rolled cigarette cones, smoking cones. Enjoy the smooth, slow burn of a pre-roll with your leaf of choice by packing it into one of Herbal Goods all-natural smoking cones. (laughs) (laughs) Rolled and tied by hand without the use of additives, glues, or toxins. They're made using a natural corn husk filter and ebony leaves. Five three-quarter gram cones come in each box, individually packed in a flat-bottom airtight glass vial with a cork top. Arises a set of five for $20. 
in my mind, I've just got a picture of a guy with like a little megaphone sticking out of his mouth with whole tobacco leaves just stuffed in it. You know what? I'm going to send you this via Slack. I'm going to send you the image so you can see it real quick. This makes for good radio. I'm going to describe it here. Take like an oak leaf that you find in your yard that is dried up. So we're talking once the moisture has left the dead leaves, okay? Or maybe it's a hot summer and some of the leaves Mm -hmm. die on the tree. And then just roll it sort of horizontally from itself and then put a black piece of electrical tape near the mouth hole and then a tiny gold string to tie the other end together. And that's what this... It's a, if I saw someone smoking this, I don't, I don't know what I would do. That's a really, really good description, by the way. Thank you. I'm good at some things. Just not hosting a radio show. Uh, Dane, we did launch Hey Money this week. No, no one has access to it other than the early launch list, but we did launch it. And, and things are fantastic. Things are good. So I'll tell you this. I believe this to be true. What I'm about to say on next week's show we're going to introduce it to the rest of the audience here. So we are going to give you a special coupon code for discount. I think on next week's show, either that or it'll be the next week's show. Do you, do you know any of those to be true? I know nothing. Dame household debt jumps the most in 12 years. The federal reserve report says total household debt balances rose by, are you ready for this number? Are you ready for this monopoly number? Yes. This is like Jeff Bezos's uh, net worth, six hundred and one billion dollars last year. Debt balances rose by six hundred and one billion. Total household debt balances surpassed what? This number is stupid. It doesn't even make sense. Fourteen trillion dollars. Holy smokes! Can you do anything with that number mentally? I, uh, no. I can't. I, I'm just. I. I really can't. I. I know I saw something that by 2023 student loans are going to be at 2 trillion. They're at 1.6 or 1.7 right now. I can't do anything with $14 trillion in my head. I, I no concept of that. The level of household debt service as a percentage of disposable personal income is at an all time. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. Let me, I'm terrible on this week's show. You know what? Patty, maybe Patty has a point. The level of household debt service as a percentage of disposable personal income is at all-time lows going back to 1980. Am I I misreading that? Wouldn't that be at an all-time high? Uh, Leave it to the professionals. Who wrote the article? Yeah. Dame, this is not surprising to me. When, When people, I think most people feel good about the economy right now. Like they're benefiting from a healthy economy. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, they spend money. Yeah, this shouldn't come as a surprise to, well, most people, I would say. Um, you know, Just like you said, times are good. People have uh, probably experienced raises pretty consistently over the, the past um, five to ten years, depending on, on where you're at and what you do. Um, and you're thinking, well, like, gosh, I'm going to go out and make myself uh, or make my life a, a little easier, a little bit better. And uh, you, gosh, I don't have any money saved up to do that. So I'll do the next best thing and I'll borrow it from somebody. This is not surprising. Which plays into our next story. The average monthly car payment in the U.S. is $550 a month for new vehicles, $393 a month for used vehicles, and $452 a month for leased 
vehicles. Americans uh, overall owe $1.2 trillion in auto loan debt, and it makes up 9.5% of total consumer debt. On average, Americans take out about $51 billion in 2.3 million new auto loans each month. On average, people borrow $32,000 for new cars and $20,000 for used cars. Dame, this is also not surprising. That number has creeped up for years and years and years. No. Does it Does it say what the average length of loan is by chance? It's funny you ask because I looked for that too. The average loan term is 69 months for nice. new cars, which is nice. 35 months for used and 37 months for leased cars. You know, I remember... And maybe there are different numbers. I remember it was like $551 a month last year on a 73-month average. Yeah, I thought the I thought the length of term was longer last year. I feel like this is a different source than last year's study, frankly, because I always thought last year's – oh, it is February. I was about to say it came out in mid-February. Yeah, it's February. Gen Xers are the most likely to have a car loan and carry the highest auto loan balance with a median of 19,313. You know, I have a theory about this. I think it's just, it's, it's culturally Gen Xers are used to having a car loan and they didn't have as much student loan debt. And so they just, they're, they're just comfortable having a car loan. They don't view it as anything other than something normal. Yeah. They've just worked it into their normal monthly budget and, uh, that's no big deal for them. At least that's what they think. People with a 720 credit score or more originate more auto loans than the rest of the credit tiers combined. Whoa. Huh. Well, you know how it goes with you know, good credit. You want to use it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you watch a, I'm not anti-hunting, but it's like when you watch a hunting show and a guy's like, look at that beautiful elk. God gave us that elk. It is a beauty, a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's on my grill. Look at my credit score. It's beautiful. <laughs> how could Patty not want this? I don't know. I mean, how could you not want that? That's really good. Look at that elk. That's that is the best looking elk I've ever seen. That is is this your your pass in a Morgan Freeman voice? No. Okay. No, that was clearly a, like a guy hunting. I don't know. Does Morgan Freeman hunt? What are you telling me? Patty does not want Morgan Freeman content. Who wouldn't, Patty? I, I have a decent Morgan Freeman, but it takes me a second to get into, and I don't want to, <laughs> the the lead up is not pretty, so I'm not going to do it. Oh, Dame, what a day! What a day we're in. All right, Dame, let's talk politics. I'm just kidding. I think we're about done here on the show this week. Yeah. If you want to email us, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Damien, I um. Do you have a good Valentine's Day? I know that I, I'm asking you this before Valentine's Day and the show airs after Valentine's Day, but do you think you had a good Valentine's Day? Uh, we've already exchanged all the gifts. Everything is fantastic. I came downstairs this morning on Valentine's Day and I said to my wife, I said, hey, you to be my Valentine. And my seven-year-old son says, she's my Valentine. And I said, well, buddy, let her decide that. And he goes, she already did. <laughs> <laughs> Tetapus, man. That's why you call him Tetapus. All right. That's all. Hey, there's some more frivolity. <sighs> next week we're hopefully going to give you the code to hey money get a little coupon code to join us and help us help you so any good vibes good vibes are all in the budget i'm pete the planner this-